0: thank you for listening to a christ-centered message from grace community church we are committed to proclaiming the authority of god's word without apology and trust that you will receive encouragement as we study today's passage together
1: i have great admiration for the many people who know how to take something broken down something that looks like its time has long gone, and they see value in it. They make whole shows on TV now with someone who has the eye, what most people will pass over and say, that that is washed up, that's done. Just set it at the curb, they'll get it one of the days this week. And some people come by and they can pick that thing up, And they put their touch on it and they restore it and they bring it back to life, and everybody walks by and says, Are you kidding me? That is amazing. They restore, they make it over, they remake it. They have such a great talent in that. They take what others see as junk as worthless. And when they put their touch on it, it becomes a centerpiece in decoration. God is the God of second chances. Now, we lost the hour and time change, and some of you might be sleeping and a little bit tired, a little, a little bit dreary, it's dark. We had a snowstorm, and you made it through the snowstorm to get here this morning. And if your mind just kind of turns off for a while in the message, don't miss that line because you're going to need it and I'm going to need it the rest of our lives. God is a God of second chances. He specializes in bringing beauty from ashes, and he's the only one that does in the way that he does. We see this all throughout human history. A few weeks ago, when we opened our series, we had the, the Israel's history. It comes up, and God sent Moses, and he redeemed them out of Egypt. And that's at the Exodus, and through Joshua, the, the conquest in Canaan. Then there was the period of the Judges. And in the book of Judges, it just goes down, 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 down. To the end of Judges, everyone is doing that which is right in their own eyes. And then they rise up, and they say, give us a king. We want to be like everybody else. And they rejected God as their king. And instead they put in place, the the guy, he's tall, head and shoulders above all the people, choose him. And they put Saul in place. And then after him came David, and we saw how that turned out. And then after him comes Solomon, and it moves from a united kingdom, only three kings, until the son of Solomon comes to power, Rehoboam, and the northern kingdom breaks off. They say, we don't want any share. What share have we in David? Our only hope is in David, his descendant. And so there's two kingdoms, and the northern kingdom entered first. They just slid quickly into idolatry. And you read this through the Chronicles and through Kings and Second Kings, and the leaders just got worse. And every now and then there would be a season of revival through a prophet, but it just, it just went just bad to worse northern kingdom was taken over by assyria they came in judah felt like the southern kingdom they felt like they could never fall because after all the temple is with us kind of like a rabbit's foot like how can god how can god ever be conquered and their own hearts weren't conquered for the glory of god and so prophets came to them and said you think you're better than your sister to the north Judgment will come upon you. You can see that destruction came to the north. It's coming for you unless you repent. Uh, We're fine. And then Babylon came and conquered Jerusalem, the southern kingdom. And they went into exile. And Jerusalem, Jerusalem was leveled by Nebuchadnezzar. This city of Jerusalem, do you realize this city has been attacked 52 times, all right? This is fresh in our minds as we're watching the news unfold of what is happening in Ukraine and other places around the world right now in a vacuum of leadership. This city of Jerusalem has been attacked 52 times, captured and recaptured 44 times, besieged 23 times, destroyed completely twice. The oldest part of the city was settled in the fourth millennium before Christ, making Jerusalem one of the oldest cities in the world. Now this is a modern day picture, and there you see on the top of the leveled temple mount is an Islamic holy site, the Dome of the Rock. Since AD 70, there has been no worship, no temple, no place for sacrifice. Israel's, you know, resurrected. They put the curtain back together when it ripped from top to bottom when Jesus died on the cross, and he told the disciples, "It's all coming down, guys." What? That was before he died. He was buried. He rose again. And just about 40, about four decades later, when they had put it all back together, the human system that it had evolved into instead of true worship, and then came Rome and they leveled it. And exactly what Jesus said, there won't be a stone left. There's no stone left of the temple because they took all the gold off every single rock and they threw it over the hillside. And now it's a contested holy site. And down beneath the wailing wall where they pray, Jews pray and they they wait for a Messiah who has already come and will come again as a conquering king. This is a a powerful city. A lot has happened here. This is the city of God's choosing. This is a place where God set his name. And in 2,500 years ago when Nehemiah's time, it was lying in utter ruins, 538 BC is when they began to come back to the city. There were three returns. The first one under Zerubbabel, and they rebuilt the temple, but it didn't look like Solomon's temple. And then Ezra came back in 458 BC, and the people were reformed, but there was still an unfinished task. And Nehemiah comes and he brings back another delegation. The city was still lying in ruins. Now, we looked at this map of these conquests, of the, the nation, Assyria taking them out, Babylon taking them out to far countries. Do you see the route? Do you see this is kind of heavy traffic on one area of the city, where most of the traffic is moving out to the north. The enemies come down from the north. They would take away the exiles from the north. Samaria is to the north of Jerusalem. There's a model that I I found this week that is kind of helpful. Where did all of the epicenter of the battles in this city, and this model shows it came at this wall. Okay, so here's the idea, coming down. Now we're looking if we're coming from Babylon, if we're coming from Samaria, if we're coming down from Assyria on that major route, what's the main fortress that you're going to hit is if we can take out their god, and right behind their god, the temple is the king's quarters. If we can take out their temple and the palace, we own the city. So this is the crux. This is the fortress. This is where the battles go down. This is where we find the sheep gate. Right off to the side by the water is the fish gate here's where there's towers where where soldiers would be because if you hold off the enemy here you hold the city if you lose the battle here you lose the city you lose your in this case you lose your nation so this is i i trust this is helpful Another picture of uh, Jerusalem will come up. So, as you look at the city, now we've kind of switched the angle here from the side. It's not quite like when you're watching the NFL game. I can't quite do all of that imagery 3D. But now we're looking at the, at the across the Brook Kidron, the Kidron Valley. We're looking at this, what is the Temple Mount. There's no temple there anymore. All of the enemies would have come down from the north. The elevation would have set up. There's just armies coming at the city. And you can see, here's the Kidron Valley in this area. Last week, we looked at the seven characteristics of a godly and fearless leader. Nehemiah was a man who stepped out of the comfort zone. He took time to rest. He raised up other leaders. He found solutions for the problems. He inspired others to serve, and he stood firm in the face of resistance. And ultimately, Nehemiah trusted the Lord with all the results, all of the outcome. But Nehemiah was not a perfect individual. Nehemiah faced all of these trials, but he died and needed someone greater to come to Nehemiah, and that's Jesus, who is perfect in all of those ways. And as a church, now we look back. We look back, and I want to know, well, then what happened? If you had Nehemiah leading, and you're listening to this guy, Nehemiah, and he lays out Here's what needs to be done. And the people respond with, let us rise up and build. And they strengthen their hands for the work. I want to know what happened. As a church, we need leadership like this. We need membership like this that looks to Jesus and learns from these examples in Scripture. and, And Lord, help us to strengthen our hands for this work. Let us rise up and build in this desperate hour that we're living in. What is God going to do through us as a church? Can we make that a little more personal? What is God desiring to do through you? This is no spectator sport, loved ones. This isn't where Christians come and they hear of other people strengthening their hands for the work, but they just watch this go down. This is an invitation from the Lord to invest your life into the worthy cause of the kingdom, the only cause that will last for thousands upon thousands upon all eternity. It's what's done for Christ. So with this, uh, hopefully this is helpful as we read through Nehemiah chapter 3. This is a record, okay? This is, this is Nehemiah writing down, here's what happened. And he, and he highlights some things in the record. He, he gives for us some important elements in the record, some things that help go against the accusation of, you rebelling against the king. Well, pay attention to how many rulers who are subject to the king, are involved in this work. This isn't rebellion when you have so many rulers involved. Listen to how he describes the wall and he takes us around and the connecting points around the perimeter. So we're going to go counterclockwise around the city and we're going to meet all of these different gates and the structures. And then he moves around and he comes along that western wall, uh, the eastern wall, and he starts to get the houses. And there was some wall here. There's parts of the gate various gates and walls that are completely destroyed. That's why I showed you coming down from the north. When they attacked that part of the city, they did everything possible to destroy it and burn it all, to, to burn it to the ground. So he's using different words to say there wasn't anything to shore up here. We had to rebuild it. We had to remake it. Other places could be a little longer because we're in already. We don't need to destroy a wall. We're in the city, but it needs to be patched up. It needs to be shored up. So he's taking us a tour. We're going to start at the sheep gate. We're going to go all the way around the city, and he's listing who got involved in the work. You're going to see who didn't get involved in the work. What kind of people got involved in the work? Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 1. Then Eliashib, the high, pri- high priest, rose up with his brothers, the priests, And they built the sheep gate. They consecrated it and set its doors. They consecrated as far as the tower of the hundred, as far as the tower of Hananel. And next to him, the men of Jericho built. And next to them, Zechur, the son of Imri, built. The sons of Hassanah built the fish gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts and its bars and next to them, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hekaz, repaired. And next to them, Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, son of, here's a good one, Mechshazabal, repaired. And next to them, Zadok, the son of Bena, repaired. And next to them, the Tochites, repaired. But their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord, note that Jehoiada, the son of Paseah, and Meshulam, the son of Besodiah repaired the gate of Yeshuana, Yeshana, the old gate. They laid its beams and set its doors, its bolts and its bars. And next to them repaired Melatiah, the Gibeonite, and Jadon the Maranothite the men of Gibeon and of Mizpah, the seat of the governor of the province beyond the river. Next to them, Uziel, the son of Herhiah, goldsmiths repaired. Next to him, Hananiah, one of the perfumers, repaired. And they restored Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Next to them, Raphaiah, the son of her ruler, of half the district of Jerusalem repaired. Next to them, Jediah, the son of Haram Haf, repaired opposite his house. And next to him, Hatush, the son of Hashbaniah, repaired. Malchijah, the son of Haram, and Hashab, the son of Pahathamob, Moab, repaired. If you're looking for names for your kids, here you go. You're going to ruin that kid's life. Any class, he's in. Another section of the tower and of the tower of the ovens. Next to him, Shalom, the son of Halohesh, ruler of half the district of Jerusalem, repaired. He and his daughters. I like that guy. Hanun, the inhabitants of Zona, repaired the valley gate. They rebuilt and rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars, and repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the dung gate. Malchijah the son of Rickab, ruler of the district of Beth Hech Haram, repaired the dung gate. He rebuilt it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And Shalem, the son of Kolhose, ruler of the district of Mizpah, repaired the fountain gate. He rebuilt it and covered it and set its doors, its bolts, and its bars. And he built the wall of the pool of Shelah, Shelah of the king's garden, as far as the stairs that go down from the city of David. After him, Nehemiah, the son of Asbuk, or not Nehemiah, where uh, the book is named after, this is a different Nehemiah, Ruler of half the district of Bethzur, repaired to a point opposite the tombs of David, as far as the artificial pool, and as far as the house of the mighty men. After him the Levites repaired, Rehum, the son of Bani. Next to him Hashabiah, ruler of half the district of Kiliah, repaired for his district. After him their brothers repaired. Bavi, the son of Henadud, r- ruler of, the, of half the district of Kelah. Next to him, Ezer, the son of Jeshua, ruler of Mizpah, repaired another section opposite the ascent to the armory at the buttress. After him, Baruch, Ber- the son of Zabai, repaired another section from the buttress to the doors of the house of Eliashib, the high priest. After him, Merimoth, the son of Uriah, son of Hechaz, repaired another section from the door of the house of Eliashib to the end of the house of Eliashib. After him, the priests, the men of the surrounding area, repaired. After them, Benjamin and Hashib repaired opposite their house. After them, Azariah, the son of Messiah, son of Aniah, repaired beside his own house. After him, Benuai, the son of Henadad repaired another section from the house of Azariah to the buttress and to the corner. Palau, the son of Uzai rep- repaired opposite the buttress and the tower projecting from the upper house of the king at the court of the guard. After him, Padaiah, the son of Perosh, and the temple servants living on Ophel repaired to the point opposite the water gate. "'on the east and the projecting tower. "'After him, the Tekoites repaired another section "'opposite the great projecting tower "'as far as the wall of Ophel. "'Above the horse gate, the priests repaired, "'each one opposite his own house. "'After them, Zadok, the son of Immer "'repaired opposite his own house.' After him, Shemaiah, the son of Shekaniah, the keeper of the east gate, repaired. Uh, after him, Hananiah, the son of Shelemiah. And Hanun, the, s- the sixth son of Zeloph, repaired another section. After him, Meshulam, the son of Berakiah, repaired opposite his chamber. After him, Malchijah, one of the goldsmiths, repaired as far as the house of the temple servants and of the merchants opposite the muster gate, or the inspection gate, and to the upper chamber of the corner. And between the upper chamber of the corner and the sheep gate, the goldsmiths and the merchants repaired. Whew. This is the word of the Lord. Now... Do lists matter? Keeping records, do they matter? I'm going to argue for yes. This is the big idea for today's message. In the work of God, every single person matters. You matter. Every single person matters and we are stronger together for the glory of God and the spread of the gospel. Every single person under the sound of my voice gathered here watching online, every single person is immensely valuable. It's a lie from Satan that says, you can't make a difference. You don't matter. Somebody else can do it. You don't need to serve. Let somebody else do it. No way. So here is our aim for today. By the grace of God, we, together, will strengthen our hands like they did, moving from chapter 2 to chapter 3. We will strengthen our hands while trusting the Lord with four aspects. Number one, we'll strengthen our hands and we'll trust the Lord with our plans. Nehemiah had plans There was a lot that needed to be done. But you remember from chapter two? He went out on that night mission. I've gotta figure out, I gotta figure out how how this is all gonna go together because they're gonna do the work. In ministry, it's the job of pastors to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. How are you equipped? Through hearing the word of God And responding in obedience so Nehemiah did his prayer did his planning did his reconnaissance and he came back and he sets forth all of the plans there's so much to be done it can be overwhelming so we need to grasp the need this is every person under the sound of Nehemiah's voice they could look around with their own eyes use their own minds and they really could come to terms and say he's right there's a big problem here. The glory of God is lying in ruins. Am I going to keep living like it's no big deal? I need to respond to what Nehemiah is saying. This is, what, this is the conversations that they would have. The disrepair of the gates and the walls were in desperate need of attention. In chapter three, there are 10 gates that are mentioned. It provides a wealth of insight. This is, this is like an atlas. This is a, a, a helpful, what did the city look like? You, you heard how many times Jerusalem has been wrecked and taken over. So it's hard to, even if you've been to Jerusalem now, it's hard to gain what did it look like in Nehemiah's day. Because where the wall was, or where it moved, or where it was rebuilt on, or moved over, all of those different times of building and rebuilding. there's another graphic that will come up just to help kind of there's the whole city all right so now we're kind of back at that angle looking across the Kidron Valley you're looking and you can see as we were coming around but there's a portion so out to the to the top of the picture where Hezekiah expanded in that realm it's not as high, it's not highly protected it's protected there's a wall but it's not Heavily protected, like it is around the king's quarters and the temple, and protecting the water gate and protecting, you know, the toilet gate for preventing disease in the city. That can take you down if you cannot live free of disease and be clean. There's a picture that'll come up of a mixture of the ancient wall and modern wall. Okay, so in all of these times of being destroyed and an army would come in and take down the wall and shove all the rocks and boulders right over the side and and then the, the city would be rebuilt. Stronger, all the way to Herod building. But you can see this composition of all these generations. There's a city model that kind of helps now we 're looking from the south to the north. you can see the Kidron Valley across to the right i 'm saying these things so that when you 're reading your New Testament and you 're traveling with Jesus through the Gospels and you see you 've maybe been there in your mind virtually you can grasp a little better that that our faith is rooted and grounded in a place in a person. He came to a, a literal place he he walked those streets of that city. And 2,500 years ago, it's not ready for Messiah to come. So you can see the the fountain gate down at the bottom, the dung gate, down up through the middle, the, the old city of David. Then you have the king's quarters, and the temple is at the top, and the wall that we looked at where the sheep gate is up on the side. There's a, va- a picture will come up of the Kidron Valley. This is a modern day picture. This is what it looks like. And so here's the Kidron Valley down, and, and it just moves up. So if you're a, an enemy and you're approaching a city, you don't want to take that angle. That's just straight up. That's just marching to your death. You're, you know, whoever's in the city has all the advantage. Down on you, there's a map of the gates. Your Bible might have, someone came up after service last week, look, my Bible's got maps, Nehemiah's time, here's the gates, and I'm kind of tracking with you. So when Nehemiah, in chapter 3, he goes out, and it's all left turns around the city, okay? Recalculating, recalculating, all the way around the city, just left turns. He starts out at, at the top point on the north side of the city, and he just makes left turns all the way around the city, the sheep gate, it's where he begins says the prison gate, it might be hard to read on the screen. It's hard to find the gates faced in the right position that actually fit on the screen, okay? So just bear with me on this. This is also known as modern-day Stephen's Gate, the Lion's Gate. There's the Fish Gate, most likely. There's water out there. Somewhere out there is a market, a fish market. Tekoa was about 12 miles south of Jerusalem those who helped to build that gate. There's the old gate, verses 6 through 12. There's the valley gate mentioned in verse 13. This is where Nehemiah's night trip started. There's the dung gate in verse 14, the fountain gate in verses 15 through 25, and all of those sections surrounding that gate. The water gate in verses 26 and 27. The horse gate, verse 28, the east gate, 29:30 that might have been directly into the temple it might have been a gate separating a wall from the temple then there's the muster gate or the inspection gate at verse 31 now here's what i want you to see with the screen what is the purpose of a wall and gates okay there, there's something significant about this, and this is a holy city. This is God's people. His presence would be in the in the center, in the midst of His people. So He's setting this is this is my people. This is where I dwell with my people. There was a barrier between the holy of holies that people could not just go into on their own terms, but only the high priest one time a year on the day of atonement could enter that, and, and it was designated. You can't come in here. This is a holy place. And then it would move out through the temple. And then it would move out through the, the whole temple area. And then it would be the city. And God is saying something. These are my people. They're set apart for me, for the good of all those who don't know me. So there's a distinguishing. There's a, there's a holiness about this, a distinction, a sanctification. They're set apart is that ringing any bells to what God has done in his people that there should be something different about us from anybody else who doesn't know Christ? That we are set apart, that we're holy. And right now in Nehemiah's time, 2,500 years ago, the city is just leveled. You just come and go. What do you want? How do you want in? Walk right over there. Just climb over the wall there. There's no gate to stop you here. So there's no distinction as if it doesn't matter that God hasn't set his name here as if there's nothing worth time and effort of God's people to build this place and rebuild it for his glory. Now, not all the projects around this wall were equal. As I've mentioned, some were just leveled. When Nebuchadnezzar came, there were some parts of the city and the gates, he, he so ruined them and burned them, there wasn't anything to put back together. So there were some projects that were intense that needed to be completely rebuilt. There's a couple different Hebrew words. There's two. Kazakh is one word, and it meant to repair or shore up. And then there was bana, And that means there's nothing to be built up. You have to remake it. You have to build it. And so there's a couple different words that are in the original language, not to make too much of this, but... Nehemiah is listing some details that some people had to rebuild the whole thing. There was nothing left to work with. Other people, they could accomplish more distance on a wall because they were shoring it up, shoring it up, looks good, move on, move on, move on, sections done, longer section. Not a vital piece or point of the city wall. What application do we make of this? For leaders in the church... For believers, we need to grasp the true need, the context of the need. This comes through prayerful evaluation. What is most important for us to do as a church, as a people, as a family, as individuals? What goes on to our schedules? Do we grasp the need? In that framework, in that disposition, We will rightly prioritize our time and our resources wisely. So it wasn't just, let's just show up. Everybody take 50 feet. My 50 feet, there's nothing there. His 50 feet, done, did my part. No, Let's, let's distribute this task. Some of it has to be rebuilt. Some of it needs to be shored up. Another takeaway we can receive in these plans is begin at home. Not just grasp the need, but fitting on a day of a child dedication, begin at home. There's wisdom in how Nehemiah distributes the work and how people come to the table and they take portions. Where do they care most about? The wall that is 50 feet from their house. So get that wall built. Because if everybody else does their part and you don't do your part, guess where the enemy's coming through? Right by your house and your wife and your children and your grandparents. Pretty smart, isn't it? Begin at home. It's a practical plan. You don't have a long commute. All right, see you later. I'm going to work today and I'm here. Hey, would you mind? I need some whatever, right? You're right there. Some of the walls are connected with houses where they didn't need, the house was built right to the edge of the cliff. So the wall just comes right up to the house and then the wall carries on on the other side of the house. In India, I was there uh, along the Ganges River. There's just so many places on, on one side of the river only. They have, they have mystical beliefs of that side is cursed, this side is blessed, this is where you're going to be, and there's no need for a wall because it's just all houses built right on the banks of the Ganges River. There's nothing on the other side. Well, in the city, right on the cliffs, they're built right there. It's a practical plan. Begin at home, it's a personal plan. This puts the families working together. This allows the children to see their parents invested into the work of God. Any application for us there? Think about these kids like, hey, my dad's helping build the wall. My dad is prioritizing the work of God. Maybe I should prioritize the work of God. Maybe this is important. Dad, why are you doing this? These are the conversations that if dad's not involved in the work of God and prioritizing the work of God, they don't come up. Everybody else's dad is. Well, what's my dad doing? Begin at home, loved ones. Begin at home and share the load. One person could never accomplish this mission. Not by, himself, not by themselves. Nehemiah couldn't do this alone. He needed all of the people of God doing exactly what God would enable them to do, and the work would be done in record time. Nehemiah was a great leader. I mentioned last week General Douglas MacArthur. Listen to what he said about just sheer leadership. He said this. He said, a true leader has the confidence to stand alone. The courage to make tough decisions and the compassion to listen to the needs of others. Do we see that in Nehemiah? He does not set out to be a leader, but becomes one by the equality of his actions and the integrity of his intent. Integrity. Desperately needed in leadership. That you can trust that what they say is true and right. And when a nation does not have trustworthy leaders, the people groan, the Bible says. Nehemiah was a great leader. He's going to raise up other leaders. He's going to record their participation. There must be leaders with followers, though. What is it? If you're leading and no one's following, you're just out taking a walk, right? Right? He's leading, but he can't make people help. He's not going to guilt them into helping. He's going to simply lead them to the work. And they grow up as leaders. There must be leaders with followers who are growing up as leaders that are disciples who make disciples, who make disciples, who make disciples. That's why we're here 2,000 years after Christ. Oh, I long to be used in a greater way. Kind of in, you know, the second half of my life. I've always had this desire of 2 Timothy 2.2, but it's coming more into intensity now. What did Paul tell Timothy? What you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. That's the scripture that we began our summer Bible study with the men So what does this imply? It implies I have to be one teaching this, giving this away. There has to be somebody on the other side receiving it. It doesn't work if I'm in a room by myself. And I can't make guys reprioritize a Saturday to get in the room. God has to do that work in the heart and the schedules open up and align up and prioritize. There's a leader leading, but is there anybody following? Do we grasp the need? Do we begin at home? Do we share the load? Oh, this is my consuming passion, loved ones, to invest into lives of all ages because it's biblical. It's what is right. It is what is best for the church. Nehemiah was a humble leader. How do we know he was a humble leader? We didn't read his name if he's an arrogant leader, he says, and look what I did, and since you elected me, I did this, and I did that, and I did the other thing, and I did this, and I built it back, and I, 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 I. That's a human leader. Might be a great leader, but they're not a humble, godly leader. Don't give your heart to that person either. And a lot of people have in the last administration. They gave their heart to that administration. Don't give your heart, give your vote, don't give your heart. Do you see all the division that's just going from one news event to the next of people who call themselves Christians and they're having a really hard time being faithful in the worship and serving of the house of God with the people of God, but they can come off with every opinion on every side of everything politically. Nehemiah doesn't list his name. That is a good good leader. He did this, and they did this. His daughters helped him over here do this. He's not here for my own name. See, if he's a selfish leader, a self-centered leader, what is he saying? And I led this group over there to do this, and I led that group over there to do that, and I put them in place, and I signed them, and I told them, and I got, no, that's not here. He's a humble leader. Oh, may the Lord help each one of us to pray, to seek the face of God, to dream big and make plans that are significant for the glory of God and the spread of the gospel. Let that filter our our posts on social media. Is this for the glory of God and the spread of the gospel? No, then don't. Let that be for people who don't know Christ. And they will do what they do. By the grace of God, let us stand for what is right. Let us understand the times. All the plans, let's trust the Lord with our plans. Let's strengthen our hands. What about the people? We're going to have to trust the Lord with people. Nehemiah had to. Many hands are needed. Can't do this by myself. It just won't get done. I don't have enough lifetimes to get this. They take me out, it's done. Everybody's going to have to get involved in this. And what is Nehemiah? As a leader, he expects dedication. He expects dedication. The time had come. The time is now. Let's rise up and build. And this is going to cost you. This is going to cost you personally, individually. The tasks were distributed. They were immense. They were difficult, but desperately needed. You ever struggle with that if you're a parent that you don't really like to let your kids struggle and you just jump in and intervene and and don't let them struggle a little bit with the task that they're doing to build up strength and resolve in them? A good leader... Well, he looked it over. There's walls, there's gates, there's towers, there's houses. They all need to be rebuilt or remodeled. The spiritual leadership, did you see that? They stepped out first. Well, that's important in the work of God. I always crack up at the old Bruce Lee movies the villain, the key villain in every movie, he never takes Bruce Lee on to begin with. He always sends all the pawns in. The Lord gets him, you know, and he backs away and runs out the back door until the finally, you know, the final scene and he can't get away and, Wah. you know, all that stuff. And I'm like, oh yeah, it's going down now. You can't run anymore. The spiritual leaders, they stepped out first. The first section was the most messed up section. Is there anything significant there? The temple area was the most messed up. That's what every prophet said. Oh, we got a temple. We'll never fall. Oh, of course I'm a Christian. Oh, I go to church. Oh, of course. Judgment came at the hand of God for those who were just going through the motions, perverting his word and perverting that place. And they weren't living as if they were set apart and sanctified and holy. And so when it went down, it went down. And the priests, the spiritual leaders, the high priest, they recognize this work, this vision of God through Nehemiah, it's for us, and we will embrace it, and we will lead out, and we will dedicate this. And you dedicate step one, the rest of it's dedicated. They led. They led out. The first half of this book is the work of God. That leads us up to Easter Sunday. After Easter Sunday, we'll, we'll jump into the second half of Nehemiah. Do you know what the focus is of the second half of Nehemiah? It's the worship. It's, it's where do we fall off the tracks generations ago? Then let's remember, repent, and return, Jesus said to the church in Revelation. Church at Ephesus, go back and do the things you did from a right heart rejoice in diversity Nehemiah expected dedication and there's a great rejoicing in diversity it's one of the beautiful things of the church the team of workers were diverse their names are recorded for a reason not just to give me a hard time and every other person trying to read them publicly okay I don't recommend in small groups that we, let's all read through this, let's see here. Now, just, just take out the highlights and uh, let's take out the principles and let's, let's talk about them and apply them together. But the Spirit of God inspired the recording of their names. Do lists matter? Does it matter if your name is on a church membership role anywhere? I would argue scripturally, yes, it does. It absolutely does. We have a membership role, and every single person on the membership role of this church, every single person matters. And for those who are in process of coming into membership, you matter. For those that God is moving and working in the heart, maybe not even saved yet, but God has a place for you. In this project, there were people from families working and serving together. There were people from towns outside of Jerusalem serving together. There were people from other districts that were helping in the work of God. The Tekoites, they worked on two sections of the wall. They were pulling double duty. You see it in verse five and again in verse 27. There was diversity in social standings and in occupations. The social status of the workers was diverse. In the work of God, loved ones, citizens, they're high class and low class, and they're united, they're brought together, it didn't matter. There's priests, and there's Levites, the temple servants, and they're serving. There's rulers, and there's governors, there's the upper class, they're serving. There's goldsmiths, or metal workers, refiners, There's merchants, there's a business class, there's perfumers. Uh, Let's think about this, perfumers, hauling rock, boulders, stone. Their hands probably weren't that tough. I remember working at McDonald's and there was a guy who came through quite often to get coffee and I remember putting change back in this guy's hand and it was like putting onto this this his hand was so I don't know what machinery he operated every day but his hands were like concrete I remember cuz when he come through I would have to be careful to not put you know not put the change in too quickly cuz it just bounce off his hand so I'd give it to him carefully and I'm like dude I'm never messing with that guy I mean he's just a just a, a big old guy I could tell whatever he did, perfumers, they put their hand to the work. There's general unclassified laborers. You might say the blue collar, everybody's involved. There's a place for them in this project. There's even diversity in genders. You have men and then you have my guy. He's got no sons and he's out there and his daughters are like, we got this, dad, we're with you. That's my guy. I like that guy in verse 12. This is a foretaste in the Old Testament of what's coming in the New Testament of the diversity in the church, along with the Lord is the one who supplies the workers for his harvest, as Jesus said in Luke 10 in verse 2. He said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. What are we gonna do about that, Jesus? Jesus? What are we going to do about that here at Grace when the labors at times are few? Pray. Pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. And loved ones, that's not just for here. We're becoming and we're thinking as a church, multiplying in churches, Lord, send out from here our little ones that we've dedicated to you that will grow up and take the gospel globally. Is this this what we're aiming for? Or will this come with our leftover time? No. If I can get there, no. It comes when we prioritize the work of God in our lives. Well, what about the problems? Oh, they're coming. They're coming. We have to trust the Lord, strengthen our hands, trust the Lord with our plans, our people, and yes, problems. Challenges will be met. Nehemiah, this is awesome. You're doing great, buddy. And here comes problems. What? Who saw that coming? Oh, it's always. Read your Bible. It's always been. always will be but I gave my life to Christ and then my whole world fell apart, said almost every person that ever gave their life to Christ, except your eternity is intact and always will be. Unless the father turns away from the son, if you're in Christ, he will never turn away from his son. He reached from the cross, Jesus did, and got air so that you and I will never reach without receiving the hand of the Father. There's problems. Now, there are overt problems. There's overt enemies to God's work. These are the ones you can expect, all right? We've looked at this map. And down from the north comes the Babylonians, Assyrians, and, you know, people out of Samaria. And over here come the Ammonites. And down here is Egypt. And over here, you know, in this direction comes uh, other people, you know, the Philistines coming from this side. I mean, Israel, have you looked at them on the map? Why does any, this one city in the middle of, what is going on that has that much attention of the globe? Hmm. Maybe Satan hates what that city represents and has accomplished and will be in future. There's overt enemies. We got Sanballat, the Horonite, coming down from the north. We got Tobiah, the Ammonite servant, coming out of the southeast. We got Geshem, the Arab, coming out of the east. They're coming from all over. We gotta put some walls up. We gotta fix the gates. But then here's the real surprising factor. There's covert enemies to the work of God. These are the friendly fire. These are the, I didn't expect that. This is the enemies within the people of God. Like Paul warned the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, beware of the wolves that come up inside. Not just come in from outside, but come up inside. And these are the ones that can be most destructive, most hurtful. And if you think about the people that have named the name of Christ and you worshiped with them and you served with them, maybe they're even part of your family, and then they just took a left turn. And they went out like 1 John 2 says, and they have just now they live in denial of the faith. And you think, what was that? What happened there? Don't be surprised by this. Don't be surprised by this. In this little list, there's a group of individuals that is much like Jesus had a Judas Iscariot, Uh, Simon Peter dealt with a Simon the magician. The Apostle Paul dealt with a man named Demas and the Apostle John dealt with a man named Diotrephes and Jesus dealt with the seven churches in Revelation. Many of them had these kind of covert enemies. Well, we thought they were Christians. We thought they were fine. And all of a sudden, they are absolutely trying to destroy the work of God. There are the nobles of the Techoites and the Bible says... They would not stoop to serve their Lord. Do you see that? In verse five. It's a half of a verse. And next to them, the Techowites repaired, but their nobles would not stoop to serve their, it can either be masters in the Hebrew, the governors, or their Lord. The Lord is over this. But they wouldn't stoop. No way. I'm not putting my my shoulder to this. I'm not bowing my neck to this. Who does Nehemiah think he is anyway? Always looking at me. And there they were sitting over there. No, I'm not doing it. I'm too busy. Really? You don't look busy. Oh, we're not doing that. I'm not doing it. You're not going to tell me what to do. I don't care who sent you. Think about this. This half a verse in this entire list of the people who said, no, not going to do it. Let that sink in for just a moment. 2,500 years later, and all those names I stumbled through trying to read, and then there's these guys, and they missed out. They didn't follow the leading of God. They didn't have time or humility to engage in the work of God. And we're talking about them 2,500 years later. And it will hang over them for all eternity. Think about this. They missed out. They weren't all in, they were all out. And these are the guys from their tribe on their little home poster was Amos the, the prophet. Yeah, he's our guy. They had no excuse for missing out. This little village of Tekoa, about 12 miles south of Jerusalem. And they were like, no. Turn to uh, Nehemiah 6, because these guys are going to show up again. And there's something revealing in ne- Nehemiah 6, verse 17 that might tell us a little bit about why they didn't get involved. What was going on? What, why, you know, what led to them being so covert as an enemy? Moreover, uh, Nehemiah 6.17, Moreover, in, the, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him, because he was the son in law of Shechaniah the son of Ara, and his son Jehohanan had taken the daughter of Meshullam, the son of Berechiah, as his wife. Also, they spoke of his good deeds in my presence and reported my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. Do you know what's going on there? They're riding the fence, they are simply not loyal. They're pretending to be God's people. We're God's people. We're not gonna get involved. Meanwhile, they are telling Nehemiah, oh, he's not that bad of a guy. Oh, he's all right. He's not, they're playing both sides, but really they're playing into the hand as an enemy. They're not loyal. And if Nehemiah says anything, here's what we need to do and we need to be protected. You know what they do? They go right out and they tell all the plans. Hey, here's what he's planning on doing. This is what's going on. They were not loyal. Their families, God's people, and the enemies of God's people all were watching what they were doing, and they didn't care. Not getting involved in the work of God. No way. And the people of God saw that. What's wrong with these guys? Why won't they help? Nehemiah, why won't they help? What's the matter with them? The enemies, why don't these guys help? Shouldn't they help their own people? What's wrong with them? Well, they're helping us. Okay. These are saboteurs. But Nehemiah didn't stay preoccupied with those who were missing in action. That's what I love. He put it in there, but if you just stack up the textual space of all who got involved, and then there's this half a verse given to those who wouldn't get involved. Do you know how easy it is for me, if I can just be honest with you, Maybe you, as a leader, maybe as a coach, and you got somebody who will not, where does your attention often go? To those guys, their nobles would not stoop to serve their Lord. But that's not where Nehemiah's focus stays. He mentions it. It's inspired by the Spirit of God for us to consider, for us to learn, for us to remember, for us to not follow in their example. It's a warning. Hey, if you're tempted to be like these guys, don't, repent, stop, don't be like them. They missed out. Don't miss out on the work of God. God wants to use you. He wants to use you and your life to make much of Jesus and to lead other people, so don't be like them. Problems are coming, but ultimately we'll trust the Lord, we'll strengthen our hands for the progress that we will overcome that we will put god first and we will overcome and nehemiah trust the lord because the work of the lord is gracious it's a work of grace going on here nehemiah didn't deserve to be in this position it's a work of grace we have no right to be called into the work of god we don't deserve to be known and loved by god that's why the sheep gate is significant what happened at the sheep gate That's where they would wash the sheep. They would bring them in for sacrifice. The Lord cannot use a person who remains as an unrepentant sinner. God cannot use that person. Although Nehemiah was a great leader, he was still in desperate need of a savior. We all have the same problem that unites us that Nehemiah had, that all of the people had, and it's our sin problem. Why? Because we're all descendants of Adam and Eve. We're all bound by sin. This is a person who rejects their need of Jesus. They're bound. He said, "But I'm religious. Be- being clothed in religion is just self righteousness. It's insufficient." Loved ones, Jesus didn't come to die to give us an improved life. He came to give us new life, resurrection life, and that means that when John the Baptist looks out and says, "Behold the Lamb of God." comes to take away the sin of the world. Jesus would often go through that sheep gate, significant gate. The Gospel of John just points all of this out. John one, the Lamb of God. John four, Jesus goes up to the north to Samaria. There he meets with the woman at the well. She's in that contested area And the disciples, and then they come back and he comes from Samaria and he enters into that north point of the city through the sheep gate. And there's the pool and there's the man who's laying there waiting on something to happen. And Jesus says, do you want to be made well? I can make you well because I'm gonna lay my life down for sinners. It's so significant, John 10, verse 17. Jesus set his face like a flint to go to Jerusalem. He was going to die. They weren't going to take his life from him. He wasn't going to be conquered. John 10, 17, for this reason, the father loves me, because I lay my life down that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. This is a work of grace that Jesus would identify, that he, the shepherd, would give his life for the sheep. The work of God, loved ones, is not only gracious, but is good. It's the best investment we can make in our lives. The people who served, they experienced the goodness of God in a real, and a living, and a literal way. They didn't miss out. The people who witnessed the work of God, they saw the goodness of God. It was all displayed everywhere in and through them. God is the God of the impossible and they saw accomplish in a few days what they had not accomplished in a hundred years. Loved ones, this is what we've been saved for that God has saved you, if you are saved, if you are in Christ, that you are saved for good works. Matthew five sixteen. Jesus said, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This is where our works actually become good is because the spirit of God in us is accomplishing this. Ephesians 2, 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast for we are his masterpiece, his workmanship. We're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Why? For those two words. What is it? Good works. This is where our, our works actually become good, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So loved ones, if we're trusting God with our progress and we understand this is a work of grace and this work of God is good, here's the, here is what we can swing for the fences with. The work of God is guaranteed. It comes with an eternal promise that where God guides, he provides. There's a guarantee here that the Lord will accomplish all all that he intends to accomplish. And he does so through jars of clay, you and me. His church, Hudson Taylor, the missionary, he said it this way, God's work done God's way will never lack God's supply. God's work done God's way will never lack God's supply. Do you know, we're coming up 60 years and God has faithfully met our need when we needed it as a church. Never ahead of time, never too late, always right on time. So Nehemiah, he learned to trust fully in the Lord. He learned what Zerubbabel learned in rebuilding the temple. Then he said to me, Zechariah 4, 6, this is the word of the Lord, Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Nehemiah took that, and he operated in that, and he trusted fully in the Lord. So let me ask us the question this morning. Is there some area where we are tempted to hold back? Is there an area where you are tempted to hold back from the Lord, from the work of God, from him using you, and you just have something partitioned off, and you're like, no. I'll give you this. I'll make a deal, but not that. may we humbly repent and make any necessary change today because our work in the Lord is never in vain. Now, I, don't know, I don't know if Richard is online right now. Sometimes he has trouble getting that link to fire up where he's at there. But 1 Corinthians 15, 58, if he was sitting here, I can say, Richard, this is his verse. This is where we know it's guaranteed the work in the Lord because Paul writes, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast immovable. read it with me, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Do you hear that invitation? Do you hear the Lord saying, so give, give it all to me. Give me your all because when you offer to me your life, not in vain. And watch and see what I will accomplish. Loved ones, we are stronger together as we strengthen our hands and we trust the Lord with our plans, the people, the problems. But ultimately, the progress, it's all of the Lord. It's all of the Lord. That's why Nehemiah's name, his name isn't there. All oh, this morning, are you a devoted follower of Jesus Christ? Have you given your life to Christ? Have you turned from your sin and trusted fully in Jesus? Who are you encouraging? Who are you helping to follow Jesus this morning? A couple of questions for us to consider, to prayer, to prayerfully consider, to talk about even over lunch. And as we gather in small groups, how have you witnessed the progress of God's work in your own life? How about in the church? How have you seen God's work grow you, work in and through you and around you? Let's, let's think about that. And then let's come to this point of what is the step of faith that God is leading me to take in obedience to him for the glory of his name and for the spread of his kingdom how am i investing my life for the kingdom what is he leading me to do where does change need to happen and i'll surrender will you surrender all to jesus i surrender let's stand together one generation the psalmist said shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts all oh, may we faithfully be in that work. Father, thank you. Thank you for your faithfulness, Lord. I thank you as we strengthen our hands here as the people of grace, and we trust you, Lord. We trust you with all of our plans And we trust you, Lord, with the people you have given, the people you are giving, and the people you are calling to salvation who will follow you in obedience through the waters of baptism and will come into this family. We trust you, Lord, for those who are to come. We trust you with the problems, Lord. We have experienced problems, and we will experience problems, but you are faithful, and we know if there's any progress, it is guaranteed when it's the work of the Lord, so we give you our our all. Help us, Lord. We need you. I pray that right now, each person will quietly before you respond in obedience to the Holy Spirit in the way that you are leading them. In Jesus' name, amen.